Hello and welcome to the Reorg Europe podcast. It's Thursday, August the 5th. My name's Richard Woolley, editor in Reorg's London office, and today I'm going to be speaking to legal analyst Shan Qureshi about Greek gaming company Intralots restructuring and emerging markets reporter Bianca Bora about the liquidation of private equity fund Novalpina. Now, Intralot found itself in the New York District Court on Monday resisting a temporary restraining order, or TRO, application made by a group of its note holders. Shan, what's the background here? Thanks, Richard. So by way of background, Intralot has two key note issuances outstanding. It's got a 250 million euro 6.75 note due 2021, and also a 500 million euro 5.25 senior note due 2024. Now, in short, the group is attempting to implement debt exchanges for both issuances. For the 2021 notes, the deal means that they will be exchanged for new, secured notes, which will be issued in an aggregate amount of 244.6 million euros, and they'll have a cash interest rate of 7.09% in years one and two of issuance, and 8.19 in year three, 8.87 thereafter. As part of that transaction, the company's US business will be transferred out of the 2024 notes restricted group and its related uh, guarantees released. For the 2024 notes, there's a debt exchange option whereby around 35% or 170 million of the 2024 notes participated in a debt exchange under which they will receive shares in the capital of Interlots US Securities BV. Okay, so how did the company end up in the New York courts? So a group of funds led by Northlight and Barden Hill holding Interlots 2024 notes applied for a temporary restraining order or TRO against the issuer to prevent it undertaking the 2021 debt exchange. That 2024 note holder group argued that in short, the 2021 debt exchange contravenes the terms of the 2024 indenture and also could be voided as a fraudulent transaction. The judge in the US District Court of New York decided that the required hurdles for a TRO had not been reached. She explained that the 2024 note holders had actually failed to reach the required standard. However, the judge did note that the 2024 note holders could later attempt to challenge the debt exchange as a fraudulent conveyance under the Uniform Voidable Transaction Act, which could render it void. What points were discussed at the hearing and what view did the judge take of them? I think it's fair to say that the judge took quite a dim view of the TRO application. She was relatively quick to deny the TRO. It was explained that the group of 2024 note holders held just 35 to 4% of the notes. Now that's compared to 25% of the 2024 notes, which had been exchanged under the 2024 debt exchange transaction. The judge at the hearing was very quick to clarify that the applicants did not hold all of the 2024 notes and queried why the 2024 notes had applied for the TRO just a day before the proposed closing date of the debt per debt exchange. Counsel for the 2024 note holders explains that the note holders have been repeatedly rebuffed by the company when they had tried to engage with the company. He said that the company was fully aware that the 2024 note holders opposed the transaction, or this group of 2024 note holders opposed the transaction. However, the judge again questions why it took so long for those groups to apply to court. It was argued that the company had been given the stiff arm throughout their engagements by the 2024 council. He explained that the 2024 note holders would suffer irreparable harm by the proposed debt exchange, and that would render the 2024 notes worthless. Now, the judge here explained that the remedy for fraudulent complaint claims was in fact an unwinding of the transaction, which would in fact render the harm repairable. 
The judge explained that therefore, Inchilot did not have to negotiate with 24 noteholds if they did not want to. Finally, further arguments were made which challenged the valuation method that the company had used to ascertain fair market value for the purposes of the 2024 covenants. The judge noted that in response to these arguments that the company had in fact used independent evaluators to come up with this valuation and that the 2024 noteholders who had applied to court had provided themselves no evidence to challenge the company's valuations. Following some four clarifications by the company's lawyer, the application was denied. Okay, so now that the application has been denied, uh, what do you expect this small group of 2024 note holders to do next? Now, it's hard to fully guess what the motives behind the TR application were. It could have been used as a negotiation tactic to try to get the company to engage further with this group of 2024s, but I'm uncertain how effective it was at achieving that goal. It could be possible that the 2024 note holders group uh, pursue further litigation. You know, this could be in other jurisdictions, such as England. But again, that would attract significant costs. So I'm unsure what the next steps would be. Now, the deal that the 2024 note holders is getting, sure, it may not be as good as the 2021's deal, but it isn't necessarily a completely bad deal. I do know that the challenging group is very small. We might not hear from them again but we will have to wait and see. Last week, news broke that private equity fund Novalpina is being liquidated due to a disagreement between the three founding partners. Bianca, tell us a bit about the fund and what happened. Investors or limited partners in Novalpina voted to strip the firm's control over its own fund after months of disagreements between its three co-founders, Stephen Peel, Bastian Lukin and Stefan Kowski. The investors have to now choose a third party to take over the assets. The 1 billion euro fund owns Estonian casino group Olympic Entertainment, Israeli cybersecurity company NSO, and French specialty pharma company Laboratoire XO. We cover the first two companies. Olympic has 200 million euros of senior secured notes outstanding with an 8% coupon and maturity in 2023. NSO has around 500 million euros of loan debt outstanding. Berkeley Research Group, or BRG, has been lined up by the investors as the new owner, but the decision has yet to be finalized. They were meant to vote tomorrow, but this has been extended to August 27th to allow them more time to consider their options. Now, you've been working with the EMEA Covenants team on this name, so can you shine a bit of a light on whether a change of ownership would have an impact on its assets and outstanding debt. The 200 million euro senior secured notes contain a typical change of control put option that gives individual bondholders the right to require Olympic to repurchase their notes at 101% if a change of control occurs. A change of control event is classified as either a sale of all or substantially all of the group's assets to a third party other than a permitted holder or someone other than a permitted holder becoming the beneficial owner of 50% or more of the voting stock of Olympic. Two things to parse there. One, a permitted holder means Noble Pina and any of its affiliates, and Olympic senior management and their relatives. Two, the meaning for beneficial owner, according to the bonds, comes from US security laws, but basically means whoever has the power to either vote or dispose of Olympic's shares. It doesn't have to do with who gets the economic benefit of owning the shares, 
So it should be argued that if a new firm is running the fund and has the power to take investment decisions, they would have beneficial ownership of Olympics shares. So does the change in fund management mean a change of control will be triggered under the bonds? Whether or not the change of control will be triggered depends on the structure of the handover deal. The full details of how the change in management will be affected haven't been announced yet, including whether there will be new entities replacing the existing general partner or manager entities in the fund structure. The investors and the new managers will be keen to avoid triggering this provision if possible. However, if investors can make an argument that a company unaffiliated with Novalpina now holds beneficial ownership of Olympic, they could push for the buyback of their bonds. And how are investors reacting to all this? The note holders have been quite active in terms of organising ever since the fund's controversial asset move last year. The fund moved Olympic's online business and Lithuanian land-based business away from the restricted group. An ad hoc group representing around 75% of the outstanding issuance threatened to litigate against the move. Proposals were exchanged between the note holders and the company, which involved putting the assets back in exchange for an extension of the notes. Talks, however, came to a standstill and no changes were made. In June this year, we found out that Novalpina had bought two other casino companies, Rizzio and Maxbet, and was eventually planning to merge them with Olympic. The fund was then planning to issue a bond from the larger entity and the proceeds would be used to refinance the 2023 notes. The issuance was planned for when the business recovered from the COVID-19 pandemic. This, however, did not materialize due to the fallout between the partners. The ad hoc group, which is being represented by Kirkland and Ellis, has now grown to 90% of the outstanding notes as Albacore Capital has recently joined. The group are working with Kirkland in preparation for a possible change of control trigger. Okay. What about NSO's debt? The appointment of BRG as third-party advisor is unlikely to automatically trigger a change of control that will require a refinancing of NSO's loans. We don't have access to the loan documentation, so it's not possible to check the covenants under those loans. The new owner would likely want to avoid this being triggered for both Olympic and NSO, and so a handover deal would likely be structured accordingly. We've all been reading about NSO um, in the news recently in connection with its Pegasus software. Uh, WhatsApp sued the firm in 2019 and the case is still ongoing. Can you tell us a bit about that and how it's impacting the firm? Yes, so an investigation into a data leak by The Guardian and 16 other media organisations has led to allegations that Pegasus was used to hack over 50,000 phone numbers. These include the phones of over 180 journalists, as well as government officials. NSO has maintained that the software has been used only against criminals and terrorists. It denied the media allegations, saying, any claim that a name in the list is necessarily related to a Pegasus target or potential target is erroneous and false. The group has been looking to raise $400 million of equity capital, from investors to go towards business expansion, M&A and debt repayments. Despite the controversy around the group, discussions around the funding are ongoing and the process is expected to conclude by the end of the third quarter, according to our sources. As always, you can read more about these situations on the Reorg website, reorg.com. 
We'll be back in two weeks with another Reorg Europe podcast, but until then, stay safe and thank you very much for listening. Thank you.